to your seats, you can follow along with us. The title of my message this morning, as you can see on the screen, is From Failure to Forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together, this opportunity that we as a church can gather together to open up your word uh, and know that you are here in this place speaking to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for the work that you do in our lives to lead us and guide us into all truth. We pray that we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us this morning. We do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. They're not born again this morning. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today that they would hear the gospel, hear the good news and respond to your love and, and redemption. Thank you for this time, Lord. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before us this morning is the story of a man that was given a warning a heads up about what was going to happen, but he really paid no attention to the warning. No warnings. You know, there are warning labels on everything. I found some literal warnings on some real products that I might find interesting. One blow dryer had this warning, do not use while sleeping. <laughs> no clue why. One brand of hair color said, do not use as an ice cream topping. <laughs> this one I thought was good. One chainsaw had a warning on it. Do not operate chainsaw while upset. <laughs> you know, I understand that one. Oh, yeah, everything knocks down. On a bag of Fritos, you could be a winner. No purchase necessary. Details inside bag. So I don't have to buy it. Just open it up and dig in. On a bar of dial soap, directions, use like regular soap. <laughs> couple more. On a Swanson frozen dinner, serving suggestion, defrost. <laughs> Might be a good idea. My favorite one is this one, uh, uh, on the packaging for an electric iron. Do not iron clothes on body. Like that has been a problem before? <laughs> Listen, there wouldn't be these types of warning labels had someone not done what these warning labels said not to do. Someone, somewhere, has got their shirt and they got an iron going and they're ironing a part of their shirt like there and you're going, okay. Someone, somewhere, had a chainsaw and they were upset. Not, not good. Warning labels are given for a reason. Be careful, don't do this. Well, here we have an apostle, uh, Peter. He was giving a warning. He was giving a heads up about what he was about to do. And, and what he was about to do was deny his Lord. And yet he really paid no attention to the warning. In fact, he even went as far as to say, I would never deny you, Lord. Now, Peter, I think, is a man that we could all easily relate to because he is one who meant well but crashed and burned spiritually. Now, I might add that this did not come as a, as a surprise to our Lord Jesus. I do think, however, it came as a shock to Peter. It was something that he never thought that he would do. But we need to keep in mind this simple fact. Our, short, our shortcomings, our failures are no surprise to God. Do you know that? 
Psalm 139, verses 1 through 3 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Maybe you've come in this morning and you're pretty beaten up. Maybe you've had a serious failure in your spiritual walk. Maybe you've had a moral failure. Maybe you failed your spouse or your children or your parents in some way. Maybe a co-worker has been looking to you and you have fallen and you wonder if you have ever could be forgiven. Listen, God can take our failures and He can turn them into successes. And we certainly see that in our story before us. Here is a man who was a failure yet became a success spiritually, a loser who became a winner. Now it's worth noting how Simon Peter, Simon got his new name Peter in the first place. It was there in Caesarea Philippi. When the disciples were with the Lord, and the Lord asked them, Who do men say that I am? And they all had their answers, you know, and, and were thrown out. And then Simon, on the, the inspiration of God himself, says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to Peter in Matthew 16, verses 17 through 19, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That was a remarkable moment. Peter had this supernatural insight, and, and Jesus is saying, man, I'm giving you a new name. From this day on, your new name is going to be Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, some have falsely said, well, that means that Jesus is building his church on Peter. That's not what it's saying. Nothing further from the truth. And the way that we know that is when you look at the original language uh, for the word that Jesus gave for for Peter's name is rock or stone. But when uh, Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, we're talking, you know, a different Greek word altogether. It's Petra, which means a massive rock, like the rock of Gibraltar, huge if Jesus meant Peter upon this rock, he would have used the same word, uh, which he didn't, you know. But the church is not built on Simon Peter. The church is built on the statement that Peter made, which is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, the church is built on Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. But Jesus was giving Simon a new name. And I wonder what the disciples thought about all of that. Rock? Is he for real? I mean, this is Simon which incidentally means shifting sand. And you're now calling him a rock? Because when you think of, of a rock, I mean, you think of someone who's, who's, who's steady and dependable and immovable and, and, and stable. Simon was hot-headed. He was impulsive. He was impetuous. He had a severe case of foot and mouth disease, as you remember there on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was there when Jesus was there with Moses and Elijah and Jesus was in his glorified state and and. and Peter goes, it's good that we are here. As he says that, it says that he said that because he didn't know what else to say. So it's, it's almost laughable that Simon would become Peter, but just, this just goes to show you that God not only sees you for what you are, but he also sees you for what you can become. He sees your potential. Well, here before us, we have Peter. Before he could be used mightily by God, he needed some refining process to be done. And a part of that refining process was, would be a very notable fall, a very dramatic fall. 
if you're taking notes, I want to give you uh, five steps to, to Peter's fall, really five steps to denial that Peter took. Number one, really, they kind of go hand in hand, and so I put them together. Uh, five steps to denial. Number one, arguing with the word of the Lord and self-confident pride. They, they kind of go together. Look now, verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So we see here Jesus had been celebrating the Passover. We looked at this last week. He instituted the Lord's Supper or Communion. And now this must have really blown away the disciples when Jesus says, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Now since Matthew's gospel was, was written primarily to the Jews presenting Jesus as their Messiah, Matthew constantly draws from the Old Testament prophecies and, and that's what he's doing here. He's uh, pointing out that Jesus is quoting Zechariah's prophecies from Zechariah 13, verse 7, about the shepherd that would be struck and the sheep would be scattered. That's a messianic prophecy concerning the, the crucifixion of Christ and how all the disciples would be scattered at the time of his crucifixion, arrest, and death. Now, when Jesus explains to, this, to them, Peter, verse 33, speaks up. And Peter says to the Lord, the Lord who is omniscient, who is God in the flesh, who is perfect in all his ways, who never makes mistakes, Peter says, Lord, you've made a mistake. I will not be made to stumble. And get this, and so said all the disciples. You know that word for stumble there is the Greek word skandalizo, and it's where we get our word scandal from. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one he ought to trust and obey. And Jesus is saying, all of you are going to stumble and fall because of me this night. And we see at this point that Peter's actually arguing with the Lord. But it's more than that. Because whenever we begin to argue with, with God's word, it's that self-confident pride that takes over in our lives. And, and when that happens, man, we're headed for disaster, to say the least. Jesus says, you're all going to deny me. And instead of Peter saying, oh, Lord. Please give me strength, not me. Oh, Lord, help me not to deny you. That would be horrible. That would be terrible. Lord, help me. Peter says, it ain't going to happen with me. There ain't no way. True blue Peter, you know. Look at these other guys. Man, they're a little flaky. You know, my little bro, you know, Andrew, he's, he's you know, kind of a wimp. And, and James and John, man, you know, they, you know, they used to be sons of thunder. But, you know, they got problems. And, and, but me, I am Mr. Rock. And maybe his one eyebrow went up just a little bit. He took the pose. I, I don't know. but I'm sure that Jesus just wanted to, to cover his eyes and say, Peter, Peter, just stop while you're ahead. Because Jesus answers Peter in verse 34 and says, Surely I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He singles out Peter who's boasting in pride and arguing with him, who's saying, I won't deny you. And Jesus says, hey, Pete, you happen to be the guy that you're not only going to deny me once or twice, but three times before the rooster crows. And Peter says, Lord, 
Even if I have to die with you, I, I would not deny you. And so said all the disciples. I mean, can you imagine arguing with the word of the Lord? Sure you can. Because we all, we all do it. You open your Bible and you read it and go, oh, this isn't talking about me. This is talking about the guy up this man. I, I gotta show this. This is for them. They need to hear this right now. Oh, that's a heavy verse, man. I wish so and so here was here this morning. They really need to hear this message. It's about them. Well, you know what? We argue with the Lord. No, that's not me. I would never sin. I would never forsake you. See, Peter's first step to denial was self-confident pride arguing with the word of the Lord. The Bible says, let him who, uh, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, the world encourages self-confidence. Believe in yourself. Trust in yourself. Love yourself. Take multiple selfies of yourself and post them on social media. God's word says, humble ourselves and the Lord will lift us up. Bible says, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What an important lesson for us to remember. When we begin to think that we are all sufficient of ourselves and we begin to think that we're strong enough to handle the temptations and the trials and the adversities of life, listen, we're destined to fail. Now you may say, well, Tom, what's wrong with having self-confidence? I think it's good to be self-confident, to be self-assertive, to, to believe in yourself. Now I think to a certain degree it's important to believe that you can do a certain task and in a sense have that self-confidence. But Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. See, we're talking about a relationship with God. That in our relationship with God, we need to realize that even that it affects every area of our lives. And we need the Lord's help. I need to trust in God. My confidence is in Him. My sufficiency is in Him. Let me give you three side points, three dangers, if you're taking notes, uh, of self-confidence. First one is self-confidence keeps us from listening. Have you ever tried to teach something to somebody that was a know-it-all? I mean, you can barely get the word out. You know, oh, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. I, yeah, I know that. They, they don't listen. And everything that you have to say, they don't want to hear. I remember many years ago coaching my my son Joey when he was eight years old I coached his baseball team and there was this kid on his team and what you realize though is that eight-year-olds really don't listen to instructions they, they you know when it comes to sports and so this one little kid I mean for an eight-year-old he was like half the size of a normal eight-year-old I mean he was just a little kid and and uh and uh and, and he managed to get on first base and so I said I said listen buddy as soon as he hits the ball you need to run it to second base I know I know what I'm doing I know what I'm gonna do Okay, all right. Kid hits the ball. Run, run! And he runs right into right field and out to the back fence. <laughs> no, no! Back this way! Back this way! Listen, we can tend to do the same thing. You know, that know-it-all kind of attitude. No one can teach me. No one can instruct me. And that self-confidence can often keep us from listening. Jesus tried to warn Peter if Peter had listened to the Lord's warning and obeyed his word, I don't believe he would have denied the Lord. But see, the Lord knew Peter, knew what he was going to do. And God knows our weaknesses. He knows what we need. He knows the truth about us. And yet Peter's saying, Lord, you don't know me. Peter's self-confidence stopped his ears. And we do the same thing. We shut our ears to the things of God because we think we know it already that's dangerous. The second thing that self-confidence can do is, is self-confidence keeps us from preparing. 
again, let's look at the realm of sports, you know, and, and these, these, these games that come up and even towards the postseason games, a lot of teams that, that come out on top, you know, and they got, hey, we got a 10 and 0 record and they're playing an 0 and 10 team. And, and it's like, oh, you know what? These guys are, they're the underdogs. They're not, you know what? They're going to be simple to, to beat. We don't need to practice this week. Man, it's going to be an easy team. And they become overconfident. And what happens? They lose. They end up falling on their face to an 0-10 team. And that's the way it works in the spiritual realm as well. We become overconfident. I can handle this temptation. I can handle that sin. I can handle that area of weakness. I'm strong now. And we end up falling flat on our face. Self-confidence keeps us from preparing. And that leads us, as we will see in Peter's life, to prayerlessness. Then thirdly, self-confidence is dangerous because it keeps us from trusting. It keeps us from listening, it keeps us from preparing, and it keeps us from trusting. I'm sure you've heard people say, well, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Let me tell you, that's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Why would God need to help those who are helping themselves? They're helping themselves. They're trusting in themselves. They don't need God's help. I mean, what stupidity? I mean, God helps those who can't help themselves. Listen, you and I, God helps those who confess their need of Him. In fact, self-confidence and pride prevents you from receiving the help of God. I think of Luke chapter 18, if you remember that parable that Jesus gave of the Pharisee and the tax collector. They both went to the temple to pray. And it says there that the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. One very confident, one very assertive, one trusting in himself, whereas the other had nothing to offer but, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one do you think went home justified before God? We know the answer. The tax collector, the one that humbled himself. See, if you want to live in your own wisdom and in your own resources and your own power, you know, God will let you do just that. But if you want to come to Him for wisdom and power and strength and help in your daily life, God will give you all of that and more. It's up to you. But it's that sense of weakness that should drive us to Him for help. And it's that sense of pride and self-confidence that drives us away from Him and we end up falling. So it's a very dangerous thing to be like Peter and begin to get too self-confident. Lord, you really don't know me. I will not forsake you. Now, beginning in verse 36 down to verse 46, we see Peter's second step to denial. And that is number two. Peter disobeyed the word of the Lord. Now, let me set the stage. Jesus had been in the upper room. He's about to make his way down to Gethsemane. John records for us this upper room discourse in John 13, 17. It was during this time that Jesus had given this this upper room discourse and some of it was on his way to the garden as well and perhaps as they, they're walking to the garden maybe picked up a vine you know a grapevine and said you know I am the vine you are the branches and he's still talking with them still teaching them and helping them and, and, and they're going through the narrow city streets outside the city of Jerusalem by the Kidron Valley and they come in verse 36 to the garden called Gethsemane 
It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. That word Gethsemane means oil press. It's an orchard of olive trees and, and there's also sat an oil press there. But what a fitting description of a garden because there Jesus would begin to feel the weight of Calvary upon his shoulders. He would be in agony as he encountered the shadow of the cross. And so they come to the garden and Jesus said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Look at verse 37. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. See, we cannot really fully begin to comprehend the agony and the loneliness and the grief that Jesus began to feel in the bear at this moment as he's facing the cross. And yet all he wanted from his disciples was some companionship. He says, please watch with me. And in verse 39, we read, And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And notice this. He said to who? He said to, to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me, with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for the rise were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. All of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, record the agony of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a very important moment in the life of our Lord. There in Gethsemane, he turns to his disciples and he says, Would you watch and pray with me? He singles out uh, Peter, James, and John, the three that he, that he took to the Mount of Transfiguration and, and three that he took to, to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, sometimes known as, a, sometimes known as the, the inner circle. Pastor Gal Irwin calls them the remedial group, the guys that need the most, most help. But here, Jesus said to them, watch and pray with me. And he went further into the garden and he fell on his knees. Now, Matthew doesn't mention it, but we also know this was the time that Jesus sweat great drops of blood. He was in agony. And he prayed, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass to me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but yours be done. Jesus is going to die on the cross willingly. He gave his life voluntarily. He wasn't really shrieking back from the aspect of obedience to the Father's plan or being crucified, but he was shrieking from the horror of becoming a substitute for the sins of the world. Understand that. Jesus wasn't afraid of the, the physical suffering. He wasn't being a coward. He wasn't worried about the pain or the shame, but he realized he would be bearing the sins of the world upon himself. He would be the substitute for man's sin. And he's wrestling here. He's going, oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know, I believe every Christian must face a Gethsemane. Doing the will of God is not always easy. It can often lead to the cross. Doing the will of God is not always a picnic in the park, as we'd like to call it. It's not all smooth sailing. 
Jesus was in the will of God and it led him to a cross. Where do we ever get the idea that, that obeying God means nothing will ever go wrong in our lives? You know, we come to Christ, your car will always start. You'll never have a flat tire. The dog will never dig in the backyard. Faucets will never leak. You'll never get a runny nose. You'll never be sick. Your kids will always be perfect. Everywhere I go, the sun will shine. The wind will be behind my back because I'm a Christian. I think we all know that's not true. It doesn't work that way. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, John 16:33. And God's will for you may be a very difficult situation. It may be a cross. But what we need to do is to be willing to come to that place where we say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Maybe you're married today and you're contemplating divorce. Are you willing to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done and be obedient to the Lord and follow his word? Maybe today you're married and you long for a child, but God has other plans. Are you willing to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? Listen, God has interruption rights into our lives. If you're a believer, he may say to you, yes, I directed you this way in the past, but now I want you to go this way in a different path. Are you willing to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? It's been said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. It's interesting to me that in Isaiah chapter 14, five times Satan, who was Lucifer, says, I will. I will be exalted. I will be lifted up. One time Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. What a contrast. Listen, if we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we need to get on our knees and say, God, I want your will. Lord, if you're willing to take away all that I possess and all that I own, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, if you take my health, if you take my wealth, if you choose to send me where I would not choose to go, Lord, I want to be obedient to you because the will of God is good, it's perfect, and it's acceptable. Getting back to Peter, Peter's second step to denial was he disobeyed the word of the Lord. He started by arguing with it, then he disobeyed it. I mean, didn't Jesus ask him to watch and to pray? And what is he doing? He's sleeping. Peter should have been praying, but he's sleeping. So we have prayerlessness and Peter's disobedience to the word of the Lord. Now there's a natural progression here because self-confidence leads to prayerlessness. Why pray? I can handle it. Why pray? I got my act together. Why pray? I'm strong. Why pray? I, you know, why should I trust the Lord? I can do it on my own. Self-confidence leads to prayerlessness. See, some of us are not found praying when we should be because we're too self, self-confident and proud. We're not willing to humble ourselves. And like Peter, we trust in ourselves and we neglect prayer. And then when it comes to temptation, we, we fall. We're weak. We're powerless. That's why Jesus says in verse 41, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, I wish we would learn this, this, this message. Because in our hearts so often, so, oh, I so want to love the Lord, I so want to be obedient to God, but I, but, but, and I want to do what He's called me to do, but I find myself the victim of temptation rather than the victor over temptation. Why am I so weak? Why? Well, because of prayerlessness. Not seeking the Lord. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Watch and pray, he says, lest you enter into temptation. A great time of testing was about to come to Peter's life. And instead of being sober and vigilant and praying, he's sound asleep. I think a lot of us are going to feel that same way this coming Thursday afternoon. After that big Thanksgiving dinner. 
We eat all that turkey and all that gravy and stuffing and green bean casserole and mashed potatoes and yams and pumpkin pie and chocolate and pecan pie and the whipped cream on it. Are you guys getting hungry yet? Oh man, I am. I can't wait. And you know, it's that one day of the year that that, I won't say it. Gluttony is a sin, but it's not gluttony. Um, we get it all down. And then what do we want to do? Oh, I just need to sit on the couch for five minutes, hon. Just, I'll help you with the dishes. I really will. Just, just five minutes. And we are out like a light. You know, in a food coma. I mean, that's it. The best thing for us is to get out and make, do a brisk walk around the block. I mean, that's the best thing for us. Listen, the same thing, the best thing for us spiritually is to get moving spiritually. Spend more time on our knees. Spend more time in God's Word. More time in fellowship. And as a result, we will find strength and power to be victorious over temptation. We forget that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and high places. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place, and it can only be waged the war with spiritual weapons. Ephesians 6 verse 18 tells us that we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. I mean, how can, you know, you put on the whole armor of God, but, but it doesn't do you any good unless you're, you're praying. You apply it. So Peter's self-confidence led to Peter lacking in prayer. Oh, God, help us to be men and women of prayer. Number three in Peter's passage tonight, we find Peter's third step is Peter ran ahead of God's word. Look at verse 47 all the way down to verse 56. We read in verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, probably hundreds of soldiers here, and, and others from the house of Caiaphas, along with all these Jewish leaders, they, they come to him in verse 47, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? And that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Back in verse 51, guess who's pulling out his sword? That's good old Peter. That's right. Peter pulls out his sword and says, Lord, I will protect you. And he goes... The, to cut off the guy's head. Now he's a fisherman, not 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 a swordsman, and 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 you know I can just see Jesus going, oh no, no 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 no, whack, and he misses and he gets the guy's ear instead. I mean he's a little sleepy. He woke up from a nap, and he is a fisherman. He just but he takes the guy's ear off. Now Matthew doesn't record it, but this was the last healing that Jesus performed before the cross. You know that just Jesus reached out and healed the man's ear. His name was Malchus. He was a servant of the high priest, and Jesus reached out and healed him. And he says to Peter, put away your sword. He says, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. 
Don't you know that I could ask the Father and He would send angels to come and help me? One angel would have been enough <laughs> to wipe out them all, but, but He could send legions of angels. But see, Jesus gave His life. It wasn't taken from Him. He could have stopped the whole process at any time. He was in complete control. But to see for Peter, we see it was dangerous because he was arguing with God's word. He was disobeying God's word. And now he's running ahead of God's word. He should have waited for, for, for God to instruct him and lead him and said, it was okay, Lord, I can do this. And he pulls out his sword and he botches up everything. And Jesus had to heal this guy. How many times do we in self-confidence run out ahead of God? Oh, I know that new car is man. I've been looking at this for years. I just know God has it for me. You buy it. I can't afford this new car. Oh, no, I don't know. Well, I think the Lord is really telling me, and you fill in the blank. And then disaster hits because it really wasn't of the Lord. It was uh, your emotions or zeal or just this desire you to, to want what you have no matter what. And we can rush ahead of the Lord and we can mess everything up. We botch things up and Jesus has to heal it. He has to cover for us. He has to fix everything. Yet I am so glad and thankful for all the times that God had to fix my mistakes. I've lost off a, a lot of years in, in my day. I really have. And, and Jesus said to come and heal. And I'm glad the Lord covers our mistakes. Someone had pointed out that had Jesus not healed Malchus's ear, there might have been four crosses instead of three crosses because it would have taken Peter and put him on a cross right then and there as well. But the Lord is so gracious because even in our unwise zeal and our stupidity and our mistakes, as we rush ahead of him, he's there to pick us up. Look at verse 57. Now, as we move on, we read, And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now, to get an idea here, Jesus went first to Annas, the former high priest. He was like the godfather of the priesthood. We're talking Corruption. You hear a lot about corruption nowadays. This is corruption way back then. And, and, and all the priests were sons and son-in-laws and it was kind of this cahoots type of thing was going on. And so they went to Annas first, then they went to Caiaphas, and then from Caiaphas they went to Pilate. And, and so there's all these, these makeshift trials going on. But take a look at verse 58. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priest the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none, even though many false witnesses came forward. They found none. But alas, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, referring to Jesus, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now that's a reference to John chapter 2, verse 19, but Jesus there was referring to his body. Destroy this temple, this body, and in three days I will rise again. But they thought they meant the actual temple of Herod. So verse 62. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that, what is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. You know, that, that is actually a, a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. As a sheep is led to the slaughter of silent, so he opened not his mouth. Prophecy being fulfilled. It goes on, And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God, Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now Jesus is under oath. Look at verse 64. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That deals with the second coming. Then verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. 
What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now I want you to notice in verse 58, Peter's fourth mistake. Number one, he argued with God's word. Number two, he disobeyed God's word. Number three, he ran ahead of God's word. But number four, on his road to denial, Peter says back in verse 58, followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. That's his fourth mistake. Following from a distance. Yeah, Peter followed him. That's great. And we all should be following the Lord. But my question is, how are you following him? Is it from a distance? I like what Clovis Chapel in the sermon he preached on Peter titled The Distant Disciple. He said this, and I quote, There are multitudes among us who are members of the church who follow Christ after a fashion, but follow him afar off. They have not renounced their allegiance. They would not think of turning from their faith altogether, yet they are utterly wanting in enthusiasm. There is no wholehearted devotion. There is no passionate pressing to the side of their master. They are religious, but there is a deadness about their religion that makes it very barren and very lacking in winsomeness. They follow, but they follow far off. How true that is today. How are you following Christ today? Are you following Him afar off from a distance? Are you following Him very close? Some people, they like to follow Christ from a distance so they can compromise when it's convenient. You know, if nobody knows I'm a Christian at work, then then I can laugh at their jokes and no one will ever know and, and I don't let anyone know I'm a Christian. Then I can, you know, compromise with the world. But if they know that I'm a Christian, man, then, then, then everyone's going to know I've committed to Jesus and I really have to walk closely with them. Duh. Yeah, you do. It's sad, but people are like that, who like to hang out on the edge. They like to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. They like to try to live in both worlds. Follow the, the Lord from a distance. It's a convenient uh, way. Yeah, Jesus said no one lights a candle and puts it under a box or a bushel. No, you, you, you put it on a lampstand for everyone to see. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men so they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let people know you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Pray, read your Bible, come to church, make Him known wherever you go in the world and let your life so shine for Him. Stay close to Him, close to the Lord. Sadly, Peter kept his distance. That led to Peter's last step towards denial and that is if you're following the Lord from a distance, it won't be long before you're sitting in the enemy's camp. And that was Peter's last step towards denial. Peter hung out in the enemy's camp. Look down at verse 69, down to to verse 75. Verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. Now if you go back to verse 58, Peter sat with the servants to see the end. Now he's outside in in the courtyard. It's like, Peter, what are you doing? Oh, I just want to see what's happening. He's sitting with the servants in the courtyard of the high priest. So verse 69 we read, And a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee? But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. I mean, could you imagine this? Here's this little servant girl comes up. Hey, mister, aren't you one of his disciples? Ah, come on. I I, I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. Get lost, kid. But fear gripped Peter's heart. He's denying the Lord once. But then it gets worse, verse 71. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him. And said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Now, 
twice now, wouldn't you think Peter going, oh no. He would remember Jesus' word, oh, uh, this is twice now. Uh, man, I, I, I got I to gotta get out of here. No. But, verse 73, And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. He had an accent from Galilee. Y'all from Galilee, ain't you? Verse 74, Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Listen, as we close, we have a great, big, strong, brawny fisherman, Peter the Rock, who's now Peter the Sand. A guy who a few hours earlier said, Lord, I would never deny you. Not me. No way. I'm there for you. Now cussing and swearing and says he does not know the man. And then the rooster crows and he's hit like a ton of bricks. Peter's got his hands in his face and he's sobbing uncontrollably. His tears are running down his face, his arms sobbing and weeping. But you see, we see that the, the fifth step to his, this denial, the fifth mistake that Peter made was he was in the enemy's camp. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, ultimately leading him to do the wrong thing. How sad, how inconsistent, how shameful, how much like we are as he is. How easily you could have done that. How easily I could have done that. Listen, denying the Lord not only includes doing what Peter did, but sometimes denying the Lord can also be a failure to confess Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? You might be in a situation where, where the subject of spirituality comes up, or religion, or, or God, and somebody makes a statement about God, and they make an incorrect statement about the Bible, and you're kind of, you know, standing there, and, 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 and other people are, are chiming in with their opinions, and, and your heart is beating. And you know that you should make a stand for Christ. You know you should say something, but you refuse to do so. You fail. That can be denial just as much. You see, someone might say, well, what do you think? Oh, I don't know, I don't know. That can be denial. So we, we can point our finger at Peter and say, what a failure. But in reality, there have been times we've all probably denied the Lord. And if we don't want to do it again, if we don't want to follow in Peter's footsteps then we must remember the path that he took to his sin. It all started with hanging out with the wrong people. You know, if you hang out enough with the wrong people, eventually you begin to think like them, and act like them, and talk like them, and sin like them. The Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? There's no communion there. The psalmist says this in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Listen, Peter was not a blessed man because he was walking in the counsel of the ungodly. He was standing around the path of sinners. He was sitting with the scornful. And he ended up falling. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle that Matthew doesn't uh, include here. And we don't have time to put them all together. But I want to make it clear that at the moment Peter says, I do not know the man, and began to curse and swear, the other gospel tells us that Jesus is being escorted out of the palace of Caiaphas. I could have uh, easily made eye contact with Peter right then and there. Could you imagine that? I do not know the man. And their eyes meet. Now, what brought about Peter's repentance, I think, was first of all the look of Jesus. And I think he remembered and then he heard the, 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 the rooster crow. But could you imagine? He's cursing and he's swearing. I don't even know the man. He looks up and there's Jesus. In the very moment that he sees Jesus, 
Jesus' face was probably probably bloodied, probably bruised. They've been spitting on him, hitting him in the face, all bloodied and bruised, and he looks down with those eyes of love and compassion on Peter. I mean, don't you think that's the kind of he looked at? I mean, what kind of look do you think he would look? Would it be, oh, man, I told you so, maybe angry? No, I think that he looked at Peter with eyes of compassion and sympathy and love. Peter, I wish you would have listened to me. Peter, uh, you, should have, you should not have been arguing with me. Peter, you should have been praying when I told you to pray. Peter, you shouldn't have been so self-confident. You should have been on your knees praying. And Peter wept bitter tears. Why? Because he'd been arguing with God's word. He's been disobeying God's word. He's been running ahead of God's word. He's been following him at a distance. And he was hanging out in the enemy's camp. Did Peter fail? Yes. Did he fall horribly? Yes. Did he deny the Lord? Yes. Was he still a believer? Yes. Was it too late for Peter? No. No. He just needed to remember what Jesus said to him, that not only would he deny him, but when he was converted, he would come back and strengthen others. Peter needed to know that his his setback was only temporary. Because we know that after Jesus rose from the dead, three days later, he gave this message in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. He says, but go tell his disciples... And Peter, that he's going before you in the Galilee, there you will see him. Could you imagine the joy? Hey, Pete, he said, go tell the disciples and you specifically to meet in Galilee. See, Peter was given a second chance. He was forgiven. He was recommissioned. And let me tell you, he was used mightily by the Lord. Yeah, Peter had five steps to denial, but one step to forgiveness. And maybe that's the description of you today. You've been a sinner Maybe you've done something horrible. Maybe you've fallen in some capacity and you wonder if God could ever forgive you. The answer is absolutely yes, He can. Maybe you've had some sort of failure recently and you're surprised it happened to you, but I just want you to know that it didn't come as a surprise to Jesus. And He stands ready to forgive whatever sin you've committed. Maybe you're here and you're not in that place at all. Listen, we all need to remember, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Make sure we don't go down that that path of denial. And finally, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have the assurance that your sin is forgiven. You're not born again. You don't have Jesus Christ living inside of you. I want you to know that he can come into your life and forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. We're reading about Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins. We know need to know that He did that for us. Because there is no other way to reach the righteous demands of a holy God. We were separated from God and that's why Jesus went to the cross to pay for the sins that I committed, to pay for the sins that you committed. And He rose again from the dead three days later and He stands at the door of our hearts and He knocks. If any man hears His voice and opens the door and lets him in, he will come in and dine with him, have fellowship with him. He'll forgive you of your sin. Have you asked Jesus Christ into your life today? If not, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to turn to the Lord. Have you fallen in some way? Have you denied the Lord in some way? Now is the day, now is the time to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And He will forgive you. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. God is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the example of the Apostle Peter because we know, Lord, how mightily you used him. The first message preached by Peter and 3,000 souls were saved. The same man who denied you, Lord, is now being used mightily by you. 
And Father, I pray for us as a church. For all of us, maybe we've fallen recently and we've, we've sinned and, and Lord, we recognize the guilt and the shame from that. But Lord, we also know you are faithful to forgive us if we just confess it and turn from it. Lord, thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to walk in your spirit, not in our flesh, to be men and women of your word, men and women of prayer. Lord, not to uh, uh, argue with your word or disobey your word or run ahead of your word, but and Lord, not to follow you from a distance. Lord, help us not to be hanging out in the enemy's camp. Be in the world, but not of the world, Lord. And as we do, Lord, you'll keep us from that hour of temptation as we just seek your face and seek your will. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, your forgiveness. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you completely, Lord, that they would not leave this place without making that commitment to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.